Hello, everybody, and welcome to Volume 2, Issue 98 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, James Carter. Appearing in black and white. Jay Taylor. Uh, am I supposed to come up with something witty and... Uh... Appearing, you can no, appear, no, no, that'll do. Appearing in colour, <laughs> which leaves Joshua Garrity with nowhere to go. No, yeah, no jokes here. Appearing Good. in a slinky red dress. Yeah, that that'll do. Ah, smoking the femme fatale. That's an image. Uh, <laughs> someone, someone was encouraging us to uh, produce cane and rinse plushies. Last I saw night. that today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now we've never really sort of gone for the whole, you know, podcasting personality thing, but I d- I did suddenly have this image of a collection of you guys all sitting on my desk, little cuddly gonks. I believe you commented on the desirability of a cuddly Josh pl- plushy, particularly. Yeah, definitely. I would love that in a slinky red dress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be a variant. <laughs> Wake it. Anyway, L.A. Noir. So, uh, 2011, this came out. Um, May on the consoles and November on the PC. We timed this podcast to be out at the same time as Rockstar's latest opus, Grand Theft Auto V, at the time of recording. And a lot of people might not listen to this podcast the instant it comes out. Some will, some won't. Um, GTA Five. We are on the eve of it, and excitement. I think it's fair to say is definitely building. There's there's a lot of hype for that game, uh, inevitably to be replaced by a vicious, vitriolic backlash in a couple of weeks' time. But let's just enjoy the the moment, shall we? Uh, so, of course, Take Two Interactive is the publisher. Uh, the game went on to sell 5.4 million units. Um, which I seem to recall there was some talk that it was a little of a, a disappointment sales-wise at the time, but I think I think it's one of those that over time accrued more sales. Perhaps it. You know, I, I don't have the figures for GTA 4 and Red Dead Redemption to hand. I assume it's not anywhere near those. I think that was the issue, wasn't it, that they'd had those games you know, one after the other in this kind of May slot and done really well. Mm. Um, but I think, in all honesty, probably Max Payne 3's sales um, in the similar slot last oh, yeah. year have put it in a particular put LA Noirs in a particularly good light. I would think that is a very good point. Yes, I don't think Max Payne 3 did anything like as well as expected. No. Uh, so yes, uh, I looked up the sales. Obviously, VG charts um, a useful resource, um, but we can never actually uh, testify to its you know its accuracy. But um, According to that, only a very tiny percentage of L.A. Noire's sales were for the, the later released PC version. Um, did any of you play it on PC? Nope. Uh, no. 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 Oh, interesting. Because these days you would, I know. Um, waited, you would have waited six months for the, uh, for the PC version. Um, I don't know if it was like a, you know, a, a, a bad port, a lazy port, or whether it looked even you know, finer than the console versions. I assume you know, 60 frames and, and higher resolutions and all that. Uh, but yes, it only sold, I think, uh, like under 200,000 copies on PC, whereas each of the console versions sold over 2.5 million. Um, I guess that's just down to it arriving later and stuff. But uh, so specifically, uh, when did you buy and play L.A. Noire, starting with Josh? Uh, I bought it day of release because I was very excited for L.A. Noire. Everything about it uh, just appealed to me and my taste. You know, it was a crime drama set in the 1940s. It was going for that, like, 
noir aesthetic and this is all stuff that i've really wanted from games for a long time i've wanted games to explore that that genre the crime drama because most of the time when they attempt to explore the crime drama it just turns into guns and explosions like like every you know the earlier grand theft autos were very much like that they Mm. they had they were set up as crime dramas but then they became ridiculous action fests um, so all the stuff about the interrogations, the um, the investigating the crime scene, all of that stuff had me intrigued. Um, and especially after Heavy Rain, which was an utter disappointment, um, I was really hoping that L.A. Noir was going to be the game that said, OK, this is how you do it. And uh, so you played it on which format? Just uh, on PS3. Okay, I don't think there's much to choose between the versions other than the PS3 came on one disc. Yeah, uh, that was the only difference, but it was enough of a difference for me, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay? Yeah, I had to say I was interested in this before, you know, for a while. Uh, I can't remember, to be honest. I, it, it was, I was definitely interested after playing Red Dead Redemption, because mm. at that point, I think my whole opinion of Rockstar, I wasn't necessarily sold on, on GTA 4. I had I felt it had its faults, yep. but Red Dead Redemption blew my mind at the time. I just thought it was an absolutely fantastic, you know, game. And so I guess this was on the radar at that point. And it, I think it wasn't until I watched the um, Giant Bombs uh, preview, sort of quick look, when they played the uh, the, the first. Well, I think it's the second mission in the game. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I'm like, I've got to get this because this it. it it kind of blew my mind the way they'd done all that sort of facial capture stuff. I was really impressed. At that point, you've seen all these sort of still screenshots, but he didn't carry just how effective some of that facial capture stuff really worked. And, uh, yeah, at that point, it was like, okay, pre-order went in, day one, blitzed it, you know, absolutely came the game for the first sort of probably for about a month after it came out. As the DLC was trickling out too. Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. Kept it, kept coming back to it. Mm. Uh, yes, uh, James. Then, uh, yeah, I got a release as well. Um, like the other guys, you know, um, the fact that it was a Rockstar game immediately uh, gets my interest because I think they they make some very interesting games. Um, Red Dead Redemption, I'd had some problems with that I discussed on on that podcast when we we covered it um, way back when, but but I recognised the 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 quality of that game uh, and it was pretty undeniable and so I was excited to see them turn their hand again something different I felt like Red Dead Redemption particularly was them striking out with what a lot of people said was GTA on horses which it, it wasn't really but it was at least taking a, 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 a wireframe structure of GTA and applying it to a different setting and this was similar again um, I'd, I'd seen a lot of their reverence for you know 1980s and and 1990s uh, pop culture in in various GTA games and uh, and the thought of going back to you know um, just immediately post World War II era 40s Los Angeles was mm. was really really appealing in that respect um, and I picked it up on 360. Um, that was where I played the majority of my games at that point. Uh, switching of discs n- never really bothered me, uh, to be honest. Um, Is it just? Uh, I can't remember how they did how they handled the swapping. Was it just one swap in the game, or did you have to do multiple? It work? depended if you were going back to because you could obviously redo cases 
at any point. Yeah. And yeah, but yeah, it, it switched and, and that was it. You were done because it's a linear progression through the main missions uh, and the whole city was available on, on both yeah, discs. Course, so, yeah. so yeah, it, it worked like that. It was only if you wanted to go back and replay a, a case that it, it prompted you to swap a disc, but... Yeah, it, it, it was a it was a fairly straightforward version of the of the multi disc system, which obviously can be a bit more convoluted sometimes. With uh, Mass Effect Three, particular, I think mm. was a bit up and down uh, with with disc swapping back and forth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, similar for me. Really, I uh, was hoping for an experience not a million miles away from something like Red Dead Redemption um, of of a similar quality, certainly, but set in an urban forties environment. Um, and yeah, I was hoping for some, yeah, sort of uh, point and click adventure type uh, dialogue sequences, discussions, interrogations, and some um, almost yeah, Phoenix Wright esque um, investigation and and uh, crime drama. Um, which yeah, I think that's one of one of the thing one of our correspondents talks about Phoenix Wright in these terms. And uh, yeah, I you know I think. All the things I wanted were in there to some degree or another, but whether they were all uh, 100% successfully realised is something we'll hopefully try to discover over the next hour and a bit. Um, one thing, because I'm, even though I'm not uh, a grammatical whiz, I'm slightly obsessed with etymology. Um, it's L.A. Noir with an E. Uh, now, perhaps you can help me with this, but I, as I understand it, this is because, like, as in film noir, Uh, And we won't do a history of film noir here um, because that's not this podcast. Um, But obviously, if anything pertinent comes up as regards the game, then bring it in by all means. Uh, Film noir is masculine uh, and noir, the color black, is uh, is masculine. Whereas L.A. uh, as a city is feminine in French. Is that is that Um, correct? The color is black, but when it's used as an adjective, you'd need a male and female adjective. Um, The same Mm -hmm. as you would need um, to to have an appropriate... um, appropriate form of of the in front of a noun be the noun male or female um you would also need to have the adjective in the correct um gender for the noun you were using to you were using it to describe um so yeah in this case noir with an e is a a perfectly valid french word but it's the female form of of black Mm. obviously used as an adjective so yeah so would it have actually been wrong if they'd called it la noir with without the e or would it have been incorrect as in if if they're asserting that uh, the city Los Angeles is is feminine, I suppose yeah yeah that that makes sense. <laughs> well, you better not tell Frank Darabont then because he's currently uh, they're making a TV series called La Noir, spelt without the e. <laughs> ah, well, that's probably just to avoid the uh, copyright clash, is it? Possibly, or maybe uh, he's yeah, asserting possibly, that yeah. the city's male. <laughs> who, who knows? I don't know if yeah, the city I has to have a gender. Who makes you know? those decisions? Anyway, so this game was uh, made in Australia. Uh, by Team Bondi. Work began way back in 2003-2004. So the studio was set up by Brenda McNamara, who uh, was a former employee of Sony's Team Soho in London. Or is it Soho in Birmingham? I see it was Sony, no, Soho London. Soho London, yeah. 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 Um, and they made The Getaway, which was an earlier uh, PS2 crime uh, sort of drama thing. Now, I never played this. I think Jay is the only one of us who did play The Getaway. Hmm. Um, Many strong memories of it. It's it's funny because I haven't replayed it since playing L.A. Noir, but I do have one particular memory because at the time I was in London and I remember 
being quite amazed with the fact that they got the mapping correct. So yeah. you could, if because I knew the city centre, it was like I knew where to go without having to follow the map. And I did at the time find that really impressive. And obviously it was taken to another extreme with um, L.A. Noir. Because mm. I remember that being the big selling point. Yeah, but was, I remember yeah. much, yeah. giving it a miss simply because it looked like a poor man's GTA, like the driving mechanics and the shooting mechanics. Not that, you know, they were fantastic AAA stellar in the GTAs of that era, which was around the time of, uh, between Vice City and, no, I suppose around the time of Vice City, wasn't it? So to me, it was like, why would I play the getaway when I can play Vice City, you know, other than to maybe play in London. Um, Mm. But I I remember reviews being moderate, saying basically, yeah, well, the shooting, you know, the shooting and the driving isn't up to the standard, um, doesn't have, did it have the licensed music? Did it have that sort of appeal? I don't remember any of that. I think Mm. it was also catching in on the whole lock stock kind of uh yeah hit london craze crime. that was going yeah so Guy there was Ritchie all that stuff. as well yeah. but it was it, it, i don't remember it ever being sort of like disappointed by it at the time okay and i think you know it's, it, there's definitely a you can see the sort of evolution of that title for or rather what he's done with this game so mm. yep uh well, they're working on whore of the orient now um i'd be quite interested to see them sort of do london again on ps4 and xbox one generation you know that and that level of machine that would be some, something to behold possibly but uh yeah we don't want to get uh bogged down in it but we should talk about the development hell and the controversy surrounding the creation of the game because it may well have had an effect we don't you know we can't we can't absolutely say and on Kane and Rince, we prefer to talk about the uh, the experience we got from the finished product but i think in this case it was such a, a big story um this game took uh, best part of a decade to make um team bondi were at points offended by the the lack of credit they were getting on promotional videos and things like that and and staff members being left out of credits or or incorrectly named in credits um rockstar north and san diego san diego did additional work on the on the project um and uh yes i mean there's a whole a long wikipedia uh, segment on the team bondi article uh talking about you know working hours and conditions and there seem to be differing reports you know to and fro whether it whether people were working 65 hours or 100 hours or um whatever and there seems to it seems to come down to sort of creative pull in different directions where team bondi and mcnamara had a particular vision for this game and rockstar wanted to make it something perhaps more fitting for their label something more you know closer to the success they'd had with gta what what are your guys take on all this obviously without not having been there um i think the thing that struck me was that it wasn't the first time that rockstar in particular had been singled out for um the working conditions in the what is i guess termed as the crunch part of of game development you know that yeah. run in to getting the game gold and and sending it off for um for assessment and rubber stamping by microsoft and or sony but um it did seem to stick somehow a little bit more here and i'm not sure why necessarily um, it, it always was felt- it just sorry was it I mean I, I, as I re- seem to recall it was uh, Brendan McNamara that was getting a hell of a lot of the flack as well as he, he was quite um yeah he was bit you yeah. know there was uh, accusations of bullying and and him being a bit of a sort of a hard head when it came to sort of negotiations yeah and, and I, th- I think that kind of went well first of all it went hand in hand with this because some of mm. the employees were talking about the working conditions and he was the one that it was leveled at in terms of he's the one cracking the whip I suppose as as the the guy in charge 
Um, but yeah, there was also, it felt to me certainly, and again, this is complete outsider's perspective and only going by what video game websites that I'm sure have their own agendas um, presented to me, but it seemed like Rockstar also were were saying that, you know, they'd found it difficult to work with Brendan McNamara and and wouldn't be working because there was that whole thing of they, they wouldn't be working with Team Bondi and, and they said they wouldn't make a sequel and that kind of thing started coming out after the game had released. And so it seemed like Brendan McNamara was sort of stuck in the middle whilst everyone around him um, sort of labelled him the bad guy. I think that's a that's certainly how I saw it. He didn't help himself by, you know, saying some relatively, I get idiotic seems strong, but he certainly was saying some some pretty silly things of his own, I think, you know, comparing himself to Steve Jobs and Sam Peckinpah and Werner Herzog and Klaus Kinski, and then promptly <laughs> saying, but I don't compare myself to any of those people, having just mentioned all of them in reference to myself. And it's yeah. just stuff like that. I think he, he ended up feeling like he was being hung out to dry and, and then probably turned, tried to turn himself into a bit of a martyr. And it just felt such a mess um, and seemed to detract from what was actually important, which was the game that came out, not to to belittle the fact that obviously some people felt that they had been bullied or pushed or forced or cajoled into working what seemed to be some pretty ridiculous hours to get the game finished. Mm. Um, but as I say, Rockstar had had those accusations thrown at them before, as had, I think, EA a couple of times, perhaps. Yeah, I, you know, I'm gonna sound, it's going to sound somewhat mercenary, but at the end of the day, I don't really care about whatever trouble they got as long as the game was worth playing. And regardless of what happened internally, you know, and whoever's wrong or whoever's right, they made a game I enjoyed. And to be honest, all that stuff is is neither here nor there, really. Um, I think for a lot of people, um, our own Carl said this, and some of our correspondents have said this, and I think I, I think I, I feel it too to a point. In the same way as some films that you know have been through development hell, maybe it's easy easier to to spot these things when you already know about them, if you know what I mean. But a lot of people have said that Elaine Noir does have some of the hallmarks of a game that had development difficulties about it. It is a bit, it does, you know, it feels a bit disconnected and like some, some elements of it are a bit unfinished or even as some, some of our correspondents will say broken. Um, yeah, like, but you know, they, they said the same thing. It, you, you hear the same arguments uh, targeted at um, the very first Assassin's Creed game. And saying, you know, it's very mm-hmm. repetitive, you know, repetitive uh, missions and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And there's a there's a similarity to the c- criticisms that was leveled at that game that were leveled at this. And mm-hmm. I, I feel it's it's is it just because of, is it because of the the problems or whatever, or is it because it was actually trying something new it's and like with so many things, yeah. you 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 know, you're you, you're breaking new ground to a certain degree, mm. uh, and you're going to make mistakes, uh, and then you learn from those and make better games as you go along. But you know, who knows? Yeah, I mean, that's it. We we can't know. There's a, there's a lot been written. I mean, you know, uh, Team Bondi were were in huge financial trouble by the end of 2011, before the PC version was even out. Uh, they owed creditors uh, nearly a million pounds and owed a lot of money and a lot of unpaid wages and bonuses. Um, certainly, you know, but I suppose situations like that aren't exactly unique in in games development either. But there's um, 
I guess, you know, I, I, and I hear what you're saying about, you know, who cares as long as the game's good, but I suppose there is not, it's not for us to sort it out, but there, there is a human cost to appalling um, working conditions. Like I wouldn't be happy playing a video game if I, if I knew for a fact that everyone who worked on it how it was miserable and how it was leading a depressed life while they were creating this entertainment for me, you know, even if they mm. were getting paid, um, quality of life comes first, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think the, the most disappointing thing is that the, this relationship between Rockstar and Team Bondi that sh I guess should have brought Team Bondi's game to to us um, and, and given them the funding and support they needed to finish off the game and get out there and hopefully have led to a, a closer relationship or a further relationship just didn't seem to happen. It broke down at some point and Rockstar ended up not wanting to work with Team Bondi again. Um, and then obviously Team Bondi had had the financial difficulties from you know from the production of the game. I think that's the disappointing side of mm. it is that that clearly what what the game's remembered for in that sense is in the business side is that that these two companies couldn't find a way to 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 work together beyond Eleanor. Is that what the game's remembered for, though? All the all the controversies. On the business I think, side, yeah, on the business yeah, side, I yeah. Mean, yeah, but overall, I think people, a lot of people, have forgotten that stuff now. And that it, and what's remembered is just the game itself, which is really what you want, I suppose, at the end of the day. Uh, Devin York via email uh, wanted to say, uh, I just want to give my sympathies to Team Bondi. The, this team deserves so much more credit than they got, and it's such a shame that their reward was being disbanded after the hell they went through. I hope everyone on that team has found another opportunity to get back into this industry and won't experience another disaster like what happened to Team Bondi. Um, yeah, so as I say, without going into the actual nitty-gritty of that, I think you know, it's worth it was worth us mentioning that the game the game's production was not all plain sailing and smooth and smile. I'm sure many games aren't, but I think this one sounds like it was particularly fraught anyway, or at least publicly fraught, which may make it more fraught. So Brendan McNamara uh, is was uh, credited the main writer and director of the game. Um, he had some help writing with uh, Daniel McMahon and uh, also Rupert Humphreys and Michael Unsworth, who are both credited with additional dialogue. Those are people who have written dialogue for um, all the you know GTA games since four, you know, the episodes and various things, um, and Red Dead Redemption and Max Payne 3. Um, and uh, I, we may or may not all agree, but um, I think the dialogue stands out. Whatever you think of Brendan McNamara, whether he's a good guy or a bad guy or, you know, or whatever, um, I would say that he can write a decent story. You know, unlike some other developers, a particular Frenchman springs to mind who, uh, you know, in a few weeks we'll get to rant about that. But it's... I enjoyed the story of this more than anything. I thought, I thought it was really impressively done. Um, it was, there was a, a maturity to it. You know, I mean, it dealt with seriously dark subject matter and never once felt exploitive, um, as you might have expected from something with Rockstar's name on it. But I think a lot of people have problems with certain elements of the story, though. Um, yeah, I was going to say, um, I, I, I have problems with, uh, with the overall story, the you know the story that's used to frame all the yeah. cases and stuff. I think towards the end it just falls apart when they introduce and it it was brought up in the free word reviews when they suddenly introduce this adultery subplot out of nowhere and it feels like it comes out of nowhere. There's mm. no setup to it. Yeah, um, it, it just 
like where did that come from? The individual cases, the like mini stories within those cases, I did find mm. really interesting. And I wonder if the game would have benefited from being this more episodic kind of TV show style um you know game where it was just you know these little mini stories all the way through rather than and, and not feel the need to have like this big story that encompasses every character and turns it into this huge well, epic journey there's a weird thing with that because like you said it's the, the 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 affair or the adultery sort of thing is it feels like it's over egg in the pudding because there's already yeah. the whole kind of um you know war history they've got going on and the story with you know what happened whilst he was uh you know serving in uh, in uh, wherever it was in the pacific and and the fact that the bad guys plot is the exact same plot that's in um uh who framed roger rabbit as well was a little <laughs> bit goofy and the fact they filmed the entire conversation about their plotting and plans. Why would you film film that entire conversation and then leave it somewhere for somebody to find? It just seems like as smart as some of the dialogue is at points in in the mm. game, it does feel like some of their story decisions are a little bit stupid. Now it's nowhere near as bad as Heavy Rain. Like Heavy Rain is the bottom of the bucket. So I, <laughs> <two> weeks. Uh, <laughs> I'm not on that podcast, so I might as well okay. get, get uh, my opinions out there. But um, yeah, I, I just the thing with La Noir for me is that it's inconsistent. The writing is inconsistent. Sometimes it's great, and I think it's mm. you know some of the best writing we've seen in games. But then sometimes I think it's just mediocre and borderline bad, especially when child actors are in the game. There are moments <laughs> where those children are terrible. I, I'm, I'm trying to recall the uh, specific case where there's this little girl that you're interviewing. The and golden she butterfly. Yeah, yeah. She just suddenly goes from one emotion to another. And yeah. I know um, th- that happens a couple of times in the game, but it, it just felt with that character in particular that that just that dramatic shift from oh I'm just monotone girl to suddenly I'm crying and being over emotion it just felt really awkward and not very great. See, it's, I find it quite interesting that um, that for you, Josh, the the main story was was Cole Phelps' arc in terms of the adultery storyline and and wrapping up the, his his war background and 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 that side of things, because to me the cases were so obviously procedural, like as if they were from a, a police procedural TV show. Mm. Um, that for me, the overall, the overall story, like if, if this was a season of TV shows, the overall story is actually the, the fraud of these businessmen and the burning of the houses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm. that, that is, is the story. And, and Cole Phelps thing, I'm going to call it that because I think it's atrocious. Um, is that's a character arc in the same way that in, Something like uh, uh, CSI or Dexter, you'd have individual episodes, but there'd be an overall arc for what's going on around um, Dexter or, say, um, Gil in in CSI. It's it's what's going on um, around them in terms of several cases that fit together and form this overall storyline in terms of Eleanor. It's obviously these businessmen. Um, 
And then what happens in the personal lives of the characters is just the stuff that goes on top to make you interested in the characters. Um, I think the problem is that obviously being a video game, it's all very focused on a protagonist. And that means that there needs to be a resolution to Cole Phelps' arc. And that ends up being the the um, the, the narrative peak of the game, if you like, or, or what they try to make the narrative peak, instead of actually focusing on, yeah, it may be a bit ham-fisted version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but actually, in terms of stringing those cases together, it's it's a pretty decent job of pulling together what are, in theory, disparate cases. Mm. But Cole Phelps has been through so many different departments that he has the op- opportunity and the ability to see how these cases can all fit together, and you, as the player, has the chance to do that as well. So in terms of that narrative arc, you know, I actually quite liked that that sort of police procedural side of it. Um, I, I agree, the adultery storyline, it just doesn't feel earned at all in any way, shape or form. And I'm no, not sure you don't see enough of his family. Well, that, or that's anything, the only, that's the yeah. criticism, isn't it? That you don't see how it, be, how it, how it started, how it became yeah. what it became. And if they had, we probably wouldn't be saying it, it's a problem. It would have made, it, yeah, it might have made sense. As, as you said, Leon, you don't see enough of his family to care about him, the husband. Mm. You don't see enough of, aside from him meeting this woman and having, I think, uh, drinks with her. At a yeah, there's very little scene, sense of a brooding romance. Yeah, really, yeah. And it's feel, so it doesn't feel earned. Um, you don't care about him being married to his wife, really. And I don't say that to be harsh. It's just she's not a character in this. It's, mm-hmm. it's him. He's the character you live through. And you don't see his attachment to his wife. So why should you care that he's giving it up? And, and you, you never see his children his, either, do you? Uh, just at the beginning, when he's going off to work for the first day, I think his wife well, and child is, stood at the door. But oh, is it? Well, I, cause I, 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 I can remember his wife. I can yeah, remember his kids. I think his child stood next to her at the door. But um, and you yeah, also I mean, don't see enough yeah. of the relationship with um, with this sort of uh, club singer that that develops mm. over time. So therefore, you don't have investment in any of it, and you're supposed to feel something other than cheated yourself mm. when it turns out that he you know this is going to all come crashing down around him because of the decision he's made uh, and instead of feeling um in any way attached to to him it just drags you out and i ended up it really undercut his character uh, rather badly for me because i didn't feel it was something he would have done in terms of what i'd seen of him um and i didn't feel like it was a choice that i had made so i was wondering why this was happening and what the point of it was um, but I see now I, you say it didn't make sense, but I you see I didn't read it like that. I actually mm. thought it did because throughout as as you go through all the uh, sort of flashbacks through the training and and the whole sort of Pacific campaign stuff, yeah, he's clearly a guy who had an ego. It felt mm. uh, plausible that he would have an affair because he was somebody who was kind of there was an arrogance to him in 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 terms of you know just the way he was and. You see it in certain things where he's getting congratulated at the police station. You can see sort of like there's a smugness to him at times. So oh, he didn't. Yeah, he yeah, never felt. Yeah. He never felt like it was too contrived that he would have this affair. It just needed to be fleshed out to the they point where we believed it. it. Yeah, to show both both ends of it, both his home life and his relationship. Yeah. Just just showing his wife like once, and then showing him going to mm. the club twice or however many times it was. Just did, there, there wasn't enough. I don't know whether scenes yeah. were removed yeah, or dialogue think, was removed. Or I think you're right, Jay. They do show a certain aspect of his character, but but I also think a big aspect of his character, or certainly the way I saw it, was that he, as a as a police officer, he was quite by the book, um, and and someone who's by the book and follows rules. To me, at least, that that is a big factor in them deciding to 
to break a, a promise they've made. You know, if they are the person who follows the rules, if they've made a promise, they wouldn't break that. So I just felt I needed more of his character to come out, or at least to see what was driving him away from his family, um, and then what was, and subsequently, therefore, would have been pushing him towards this woman. And I just didn't feel that was there. The, the impetus, the motive, if you like, for him doing this just wasn't there as as far as. Mm certainly in my reading of it. Um, I could certainly understand that the, there was more going on with that character in the flashbacks. We see that he's quite, that there is a, a complicated backstory to him. It's just in the game, uh, maybe it's the procedural nature of it. It didn't allow his character to actually be shown, um, at least to the aspects of it, that I would have liked to see, maybe. Dom's beard uh, on the forum says, my main fault with the game and what made me not have great memories was Phelps himself and his actions, which I could, uh, I believe could have been fixed easily. When you find out that Phelps has cheated on his wife and is disgraced, seemed totally bizarre and came out of nowhere. There was no context. You'd only seen his family on screen for seconds at one point. They should have put a tutorial in at the beginning where you spoke to your kids and one of them was lying and you could have seen his relationship with his wife. You should have also made the decision yourself on whether to cheat or not and then it would have at least made sense. Phelps could then have cleared his name instead if it was lies rather than being pushed out purely to progress the story along. That's quite a good idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, And another element that I know uh, that other people found... um, Difficult. I'd, I'm not sure if I would say I was a fan of it or not. I, the, the the idea that because of the the nature of of the way it goes, I mean, it, it's it's the archetypal arc, isn't it? In that Phelps has to go, uh, has to hit rock bottom before he can redeem himself. Yeah. But uh, Flavio puts it like this. He says the arc seemed a little weird to me, having you essentially get promoted to the best role in the precinct, homicide, and then get bumped out of it after solving one of the most notorious cases of all time, that's the Black Dahlia, uh, before even reaching the game's halfway point killed all of the momentum for me. I would disagree with him on this. And I'm not saying I'm some expert in, in police procedure, though I have two brothers-in-law who are police officers, but it's just, it. I'm basing this on LA Confidential, <laughs> Good. But but no, because no, it's relevant. The, it, it is <laughs> the best. The best role in the precinct is Vice because they get to hang out with all the movie stars, the TV people, the radio people, all the famous people, yeah. and that's the the cushy number because they can, you know, as you see in that film, it, there's easy busts, and so they get in all they get the limelight, they get the attention, and it's a relatively straightforward job. The homicide mm-hmm. is, is would have been at that point in 1947 would have not been the best job in the role. It would have been the one that would have put you up against gangsters. You would have been doing some pretty horrific murders and all the rest of it, and also give so, you a bunch of cases that you can't solve. You know, yeah, and turn everybody into alcoholics as you can see <laughs> in the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, James and Josh, uh, how do you feel about this? I mean, you're both big movie fans, I know. Um, in terms of this, the sort of the way this arc goes, and also um, for all of you, the 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 fact that ultimately you end up controlling a different character. Uh, we haven't given out a spoiler warning. I hope people know by now uh, that on Kane and Rince we always talk about, or we are free to talk about any element of the plot. If you're listening to this and haven't played to the end of La Noire, uh, that's your warning. Uh, but later in the game, you end up in control of uh, Jack Kelso. Is it? Yeah. 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 Uh, Josh, did you want to uh, to jump in there on? Um... Um, yeah, no, I, I don't. 
I don't really have anything to say, guys. You've already covered <laughs> <Okay>. it. That's <laughs> yeah. fine. Okay, yeah, I mean, my only take is that, um, yeah, the, the at least one of the tropes of film noir is is the the protagonist, uh, the anti-hero usually it is in, in film noir rather than hero, um, mm. hitting bottom, you know, being broken either physically, mentally, or in terms of career and, and financially broken, mm. and being yeah, absolutely I mean. shattered and having to prove their worth when, by all rights, they've been beaten already. Um, and, and that's not just film noir, but, it, but mm. in film noir, you know, when I think of film noir, it's, Jack Nicholson in Chinatown with an absolute busted up nose and mm. and still wearing his hat with a slight you know swagger to it and it doesn't matter the fact that his face has been um, you know not ruined but but certainly uh, bruised and and uh, broken uh, mm. he still puts that hat on wears it in a certain way and still has the attitude to go with it and carries on regardless um, and so I think that was the 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 point here um, and. And any of any of the films like Ellie, uh, uh, Ellie Confidential, I think of when I think of film noir, very much the same. It's about um, it's about people being beaten and broken. And I think, as far as Jack Kelso goes, I understand why it was done. I think it was possibly necessary um, at that point because you've seen Jack Kelso as as the as the antagonist in in many ways um, to. To Phelps up to that point, and you need to. It shows you his perspective and the fact that that Phelps does have this dark past, and that Kelso maybe actually is the one that you ought to be rooting for, and and that it takes a different perspective to show you that. Um, which goes back to what Jay was saying about that. You know, the war side of, of Phelps actually does show you that maybe he isn't the nicest guy, um, and and maybe there is a. a an arrogance and an egotism to or egoism rather to to his character um so yeah i i i liked jack kelso as a character and maybe that um that makes it easier for me to swallow moving over to a different character um, yeah it was uh, cole phelps is never a, a a warm character an easy character to like no. at any stage i mean you you feel maybe he's not even like super cool either i mean he's He's a little bit cool, but he's perhaps not as cool as he thinks he is. So it's kind of a weird character to play in some ways. I, I, um, I think my biggest problem with Cole Phelps is that we were talking about him having an arc, but I'm not entirely sure he actually changed as a character at any mm. point in the game. Things happen to him, like huge... Yeah. Dramatic life events happen to him, but he's kind of just an arsehole to everyone all the way through the game. Um, and just this guy who's, you know, I'm by the book. I'm, you know, just it's kind cook. of a cold fish, really. Yeah, and, I would say more, more than an absolute arsehole. But, but I don't yeah, know. yeah, I, I was being a bit harsh. But you know what I mean? He was just, <laughs> he, he kind of just treated everyone the same way. He, it, it didn't feel like he. Like the only connection, the intimate connection he really had was with his wife, and you never get to see that. Mm. And yeah, um, supposedly you wouldn't know. And um, mm. I think I agree with James. I think the shift to all the femme fatale, yeah, nightclub singer. I, I agree with James about Kelso simply because I found that character more interesting. It felt like he there was more. He was more invested in what was going on, whereas all the 
all the investment, uh, character investment that um, Phelps had was going on off screen. Um, it, it didn't feel like he was really invested with, apart from a, a couple of characters, he wasn't really invested with the characters who were taking part in the story that was right in front of us. See, I, I think found maybe that I got, I felt there was some progression when you when you were sat in the car with your partner, whoever, whichever one there was, and you have those conversations as you're driving around. That stuff I quite enjoyed. I felt that it kind mm. of it it created the relationships between his partners and with the likes of Dusty. It changes as you go through the cases. You know, they sort of there's a begrudging sort of respect for each other by the end of it and stuff. Mm. And that stuff I actually quite liked a lot during the course of the game, just listening to the banter that was going on between them. I was just going to say, do you think maybe I'm giving uh, Brenda McNamara and or um, Aaron Staten Staten uh, too much credit here, but do you think maybe it was a deliberate decision to make the main character, the player's avatar throughout the vast majority of the game, a bit of a blank canvas almost, you know, maybe, maybe his, his aloofness, his coldness, um, was you know in order to maybe this is a you know a problem of the medium or a problem of the decision you know of the way they decided to treat the medium to actually allow to uh, the player to have that because you know one of the things we should talk about is uh, some of the other the supporting characters are are, are really memorable mm. you know Rusty and and particularly uh, Royal and um, Captain Donnelly um, these people are you know sort of quite striking and and. Um, they're broad. They're broad characters. You yeah. know, they're perhaps uh, archetypes that you've seen in other things. But I think you know, in in the medium and in the setting, that works fine. But do you think maybe it was just a misjudgment to make Phelps a little bit too kind of emotionless with the idea that the player would project upon him? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I think if they did that, which I'm, I'm not necessarily convinced they did, but if they did, it was a mistake for the simple reason that if you're going to have a um, a fixed point in the game where the character is going to make a decision to cheat on his wife and that has to happen if you're taking this as a linear narrative and it's not a choice that you're making then you're all right you need to tell that backstory to get to that point you can't have yeah. you know i was playing this character as a by the books detective and he, and okay, he did a couple of things in in terms of investigations which i'm sure we'll talk about later that mm-hmm that kind of pushed me out of role-playing as this character. Um, but at that point, at the point where he he commits a, a, adultery, that is not the decision, quote-unquote, my Cole Phelps would have made. Mm. And therefore, it wasn't my Cole Phelps. So the writer, the actor, the, the people doing the dialogue or the overall story need to, to take ownership of that and say, no, this is not the the player's character. This is our character. The player is going to have to do a little bit of work here to put themselves into this role. It's not going to be a, a Commander Shepard. And that's something that I think John Marston, for example, I was perfectly able to put myself into his shoes. Um, and And even when he was not doing exactly what I'd have done, I was okay with that because that's what John Marston did. And this was Mm. John Marston I was playing as. It wasn't a cipher. It wasn't a blank page. It was John Marston. Um, The the thing is, I'm thinking now, if they would have been better overall just to left it out altogether because if they'd fleshed it out, made you care about his family and then he cheated, it could have been a real turnoff for a lot of people. At that point, you, you would just lose any respect or any wanting to play as this character, you know, this, this, mm. 
to have a character, and it's not often you see it in a game where the character you're playing will do something, or if you're within like a sort of a narrative-driven game, that will do something that you just don't agree with, that you just, you just, how how would that affect the the player, and how would it affect the game in general if if the if the player stopped wanting to play this guy? Because you it, see, I, I for me, like um, it's more important that a character be fascinating than interesting mm. than line up with my moral values. So mm. the fact that Cole Phelps, you know, has an affair uh, isn't the the issue for me. Mm. Like if they had set up the character in a way that it made sense for that to happen, yeah. as shocking as it would be, as upsetting as it would be for me, at least it would be interesting. Yeah. It'd be an yeah. interesting place to take the story. The problem is that they just don't justify that mm. decision. Um, it, it For me, it's about, you were talking about maybe they wanted it to uh, maybe they wanted Cole to be a cipher for the player and maybe they wanted him to be like a fleshed out character. I think the problem is he's halfway in between those two yeah. things. Yeah. They should have gone all the way one way yeah. or all the way the other and they haven't made a choice and yeah. that's problematic for the character. Is this is this illustrative uh, illustrative of kind of where we are with video game storytelling at this point? Uh, to you know a lot of games fall down in this you know some people like James they're saying that you know uh, and and Dom's beard our correspondent saying that they want the agency to make these decisions but of oh, course I'm not saying I want the agency I'm just saying it, it felt like it was right. being offered to me and then snatched yeah. away and that yeah, was okay. the problem yeah so of course I, exactly the play. same I'm saying that the problem is it's half and half and mm. I absolutely yeah. agree with Jay they, they could have made you really buy into Cole Phelps the family man but what they also would have had to do is make you then believe that he would have an affair, at least see the motive for it. Even if you hated the character for it, they needed to, you know, what goes hand in hand with making you believe his, his family are important is making you believe that he would go and have an affair. I think on one, on, on one level, it's interesting that we're having this conversation about a video game anyway, nowadays. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I know the game's like two, you know, two and a half years old now, but it's, it's, you know, it, it is interesting that we're getting to this stage. And I think in though in, the years that have passed since there have been, um, you know, movements forward in in, in 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 obviously in video game storytelling anyway. So I think you know, credit to them for what they did at the time. I think this is the you know it comes down to the, the how much goodwill there are towards uh, games that have you know big uh, decisions where even if you're playing a character you know not mm. a blank canvas but a, a written character that who who gets to make fundamental decisions um, that ultimately turn out to be perhaps not that you know affecting as regards to the final story arc I'm thinking of uh, The Walking Dead Telltales and uh, Mass Effect here mm. um, but whether people will go with it and feel positively disposed comes down to the quality of the experience they've had up to that point even if the agency is ultimately taken away from them in the end like it was you know very controversially in mass effect you know came down to a, th a choice of three colors and regardless of which one you picked you know for most people the ending was profoundly unsatisfactory um but the walking dead you know every, everyone discovered that when they got to that final episode i won't spoil the walking dead here that Although, you know, things had happened along the way that their choices had affected, ultimately the story was the story. And you because they can't write every story, they can't mm. cater for what every player might or might not do. They can't script every possible line. You know, that's never going to happen. Um, there may be ways of procedurally generating certain experiences. And I'm sure, you know, long after I'm dead and gone, uh, things that you can do in virtual worlds will be 
you know, just unbelievable. But right now and for the foreseeable future, developers have to commit, don't they, to either telling a story and taking a play and writing it so well and making such convincing or compelling characters that, that the players will go along with it or... But yeah, so I, I guess what I'm saying, I'm agreeing with you guys that what they mustn't do is cop out and go for a halfway house. That location then, uh, mm. that's pretty some, much something. Um, 1947 uh, Los Angeles. Um, you know, people often say it's a bit of a cliche uh, that uh, Liberty City is a character in the game of Grand Theft Auto. Well, I think certainly LA is a big character in uh, LA Noir. It was based on uh, aerial photographs taken by the uh, man called Robert Spence over a 50-year period, 110,000 aerial photographs of L.A. Um, and Team Bondi used it to create everything, traffic patterns and, and the state of buildings at the time and public transport routes and uh, condition and location of the buildings and all this stuff. Um, and now a lot of people, uh, and I, I think this maybe comes from what we expect from open world games now, uh, and maybe rightly so, uh, often talk of L.A. Noire's world being very empty with nothing to do in it. But personally, and this is just to kick you, the rest of you talking about it, um, I was fairly much uh, kind of taken with the recreation of the world. So a lot of my fun of L.A. Noire, you know, away from some of the flaws of the, the other aspects of the game was simply walking around that world. Even if there wasn't much to do, there was a hell of a lot to look at. Beautifully modelled shop windows and displays and lobbies of buildings that you only went in once that had, you know, all the uh, mailboxes there and the and the different um, sort of Art Deco stuff over the doors and uh, different, you know, brass door handles and, and it would depend which area you're in as to how, you know, rich or poor the area was, how run down it was. Um, you know, things like cake shops, you know, mm. where you would have, you know, a display that you'd maybe only see once in the entire game and all that, that sort of level of detail. Now, that might not be, you know, a great game, but, it, you know, on Kane and Rince, we might talk lovingly about a, a non-game game where you got a lot out of, say, a visual experience like Dear Esther or Proteus or something mm. like that. Um, I feel that way about L.A. Noire, having the opportunity to visit a, a re-rendered image of maybe a bit of what Los Angeles was like in 1947 was a bit magical for me. The funny thing is, it's actually, in, in certain areas, it's Los Angeles as it is today as well, which is, you know, there was, um, like, mm. Kai, obviously, with, with the band, she was there in 2000. And... For, for listeners, <laughs> that's Jay's wife. Yeah, sorry, uh, yeah. Who was, in, who was in the go team. Uh, she, she'd been out there the year before the game. And they toured, and she took uh, loads of a few. Well, she took a load of photographs. And whilst I was playing this game, and this is straight up truth, I was walking around MacArthur Park in the game, and she says, "I know that. I've been there." Mm. And mm. she dug out her laptop. She dug out her, her, her photos, and she showed me these pictures. Yeah. And then I think I actually posted this back on when we were. Back on Gamer Dork, I actually posted yeah, the comparison yeah, pictures amazing, yeah. of the real, fo the photographs that she took, the pictures of where I positioned the camera in the game and took uh, a screenshot, mm. and they were they were spot on. And she she was then going down. I said, if you go down this road and turn a left, there was this white building here, and it was there. It was in the game, and that blew my mind. I got to be honest, I thought it was absolutely bloody amazing that they they'd gone to that level with it, and and. Whilst, you know, obviously Liberty City is based on New York and, and quite well done by all accounts, but this was mm. 
just the you know just the, the next step up from that it was a real place and the level of work and detail they put into this i still to this day never get bored of just walking around their recreation of 1947 la i think it's absolutely it's it, it is truly a, a, a work of art yeah no i i agree i i really hope the people who worked on the environments in this game found a good home because th- a lot of aspects of this game I feel negatively about now, but the mm. environmental design is still, you know, it's still occupying space in my brain. Like mm, that's right. It, yeah, it's yeah. just so striking and um, just so colourful in a ways that, like, even yeah. Grand Theft Auto Four, you know, it's a very you know colourful game, but it's so bright and beautiful in L.A. Noir in a way that. Um, even you know uh, games that I uh, in Rockstar's stable that I like more don't really equal what's on display here. Um, yeah, no, it's it's really impressive and just the attention to detail, um, just these little, you know, you know when a building is almost a story in of itself where you just look at it and you think, yeah. oh yeah, this was probably used for this and yeah. and uh, people did this and you know blah 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 blah. I love stuff like that where a building isn't just there to look pretty. It has like its own narrative that you, you know, it's mm. not, a, you know, immediately apparent, but if you just look at it and stare at it for a while, you can piece it together and think, this is why this is here. And this is what it was probably used for. Um, a lot of thought went into the environmental design of um, L.A. Noir, And it's, I, for me, it's by far the best part of this game. Mm. Yeah. For me, it's it sort of, um, as I say, it sort of almost despite some of the flaws with the mechanics that we're, we're coming on to shortly, um, like the 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 LA in that game and the, and and the costumes mm. and stuff like that, and we we'll talk about the fact that all the women have got the same hairstyle for a technical reason, things like that. But it validates the existence of that game for me. Um, even you know, you know, maybe it, you know, you could say, well, you know, it could be a museum piece or something, but that's fine. You know, there's all kinds of reasons to enjoy modern video games because there's so much going on in them, and for me just being able to walk around. Yes, it's not absolutely accurate and they took some artistic licenses, things like the the, the big film set that's there wasn't still there in 1947 mm. and stuff like that. But that's fine. I can live with that. Um, it's, uh, it, you know, it's an experience to, to be able to have in your own home, you know, to be able to kind of walk into the past in that way to some degree. You know, it's not, it's never going to be perfect, but, um, you know, maybe Oculus Rift would add something. But, uh yeah, it was yeah tremendous. James, you haven't said anything. Uh, yeah, about the, LA. well, the the first thing I should say is that that my experience was not a colourful one, but only because I played the game in black and white. So, oh, um, okay, with the so, t- with the so, filter. Yeah, on, yeah. The, the rich uh, colours you're talking about definitely weren't mm. there for me, but that was a choice I made. Choice, and yeah, and yeah. I very much appreciated that being there because it's in keeping with a, a very blunt uh, trope of of film noir, which is for it to be black and white. Which isn't necessary by I any stretch of imagination. Again, it's just something we think of. Um, maybe I'd do that. The black and white. Uh, it's thing. definitely worth it. I, I enjoyed it, and I don't feel that it uh, lessened the impact of the of the environment. And I I definitely agree with everything you're saying. Um, all three of you are, are, are saying about it. I think it's a it's a wonderful world, and I think uh, the the way it's recreated does remind me of Liberty City and Grand Theft Auto Four because 
they obviously took hundreds of thousands of photos of, of New York. They went on uh, from the UK over to, to New York and spent just, uh, uh, I think they said a month in, I remember reading in an interview of the game, mm. uh, and repeated visits, just taking all these photos of New York to create a city that felt like New York, but it wasn't supposed to be a realistic version. Whereas obviously in this case, it very much is. I don't know what 1940 seven or round about that period Los Angeles looked like. I've seen films. This does the same thing that does in, in making it quite a, a quite a romantic um setting, but not in not in that notion of perfect. It's it's not supposed to be perfect. It's romantic because it, it evokes a nostalgia uh, for something that I haven't experienced, which therefore makes it a certain romantic uh, type feeling. Um mm. to play devil's advocate, um and I think empty's the wrong word to use in mm-hmm. response to this world, because I think it's very detailed. I don't think it's em- empty in terms of uh, a, a setting for a video game. Um, I think what th- I think there's a couple of reasons perhaps people people overlook this, which is first of all, um, if you're driving around in mission and you do any damage, which let's face it, with a, a GTA style driving model, but with cars that are a bit more heavy and they get the feel of the cars quite right, um, you you have that count against you in terms of your mission rating and therefore it dissuades people from driving around. I think that's a problem Um, Mm. because it means that you just get your partner to drive everywhere because they drive perfectly. Um, I was happy to learn to drive properly and do it. But I think a lot of people weren't. And and if you're going for the rating, because that's what the game's encouraging you to do, I I just think it was unnecessary and, and it didn't need to be there personally uh, and it would have encouraged more people perhaps to drive and enjoy um the mm. city for what mm. it is um the second thing is the stuff that they did put to do in the city outside of the missions um stuff like uh collecting all the cars um the film reel stuff like that it, yeah a bit weird collecting cars that have a chance of showing up at certain places but you basically just have to walk around and try them and you're hopping into a car that you're not quite sure if it's the car you need to get or not it doesn't it's collectibles gone mad in a game that just does not need it the, no that gamey stuff was weird it was police badges film reels and cars i mean yeah the car a lot of the cars in the game are absolutely beautiful absolutely um, you know recreations and, and well worth and that's why know, i think they should have encouraged people to 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 drive in the missions just by not penalizing them for making mistakes which could just be honest mistakes not driving recklessly just honest mistakes and a bit like Grand Theft Auto where you feel like you're getting punished for just nudging into a car in front of you and suddenly you've got a, a police car coming after you, you know. Um, I found quite early on that I stopped bothering with other people's cars, although you might see a big fancy red flash sports car type thing. It was like, oh, that looks nice. But I soon got past the point where I would take it because A, it didn't have a police radio. It didn't have a police siren, which the siren really is useful if you're driving at speed because oh, the yeah. other cars get out yeah. of your way. And it was mm-hmm. just, you know, without that, I was crashing left, right, and center. And it was fine just to look at the other yeah. cars, you know, just yeah, to, no, just to yeah. see them as you, you know, if you went to a classic motor show and just. Yeah, went, no, I, wow. I only ever took the police car because um, the way I was playing Cole Phelps, why would he go and take someone else's car? You yeah. know, it just it didn't yeah. make sense when there's a police mm. car right outside the station. So no, yeah, definitely. But yes, I think I can't remember exactly. I, I have vague recollections of there not being uh, a huge amount of different NPCs, which is often something that's leveled at, you know, it shatters that 
reality. It makes you feel like you're in an illusion. I know it's something people have said about Bioshock Infinite more mm-hmm. recently, repeating NPCs. It's something that's going to become more and more obvious. I think, you know, as we expect more from our games, it wasn't very long ago that every NPC in some games was exactly the same, yeah. but now we want infinite, you know, <laughs> sort of procedurally generated yeah. models. Um, and obviously, you know, that takes that takes technology or skill to make. Um, mm. But yes, I think yeah, the collectible stuff was just a bad fit. Um, they should have had maybe been brave enough just to leave that stuff out completely. You know, why would Phelps be looking for... I know there, there's some justification for the film cans, um, but the police badges and the, you know, rare cars hidden in lockups and stuff, it's just very odd. I mean, if they really awkward. wanted to do that, they could have woven in... Again, it would have been contrived, but maybe Phelps had maybe Phelps has a history with cars and therefore took pictures of the cars rather than having to get into them. Because you actually had to get into them, you didn't have to drive them anywhere and then just get out again, yeah. which just was a weird way of doing it. So another thing uh, that I personally thought was fantastic about the game was the soundtrack all the way through, uh, which is sort of a three-tiered soundtrack, isn't it? Because you've got the score... Mm. Uh, which is by Simon Hale and Andrew Hale. Uh, Simon Hale is known for working uh, arrangements or mixes for people like Bjork and Jamiroquai and Ian Brown, Ray Davis, Supergrass, Beautiful South, George Benson, Josh Groban, Charlotte Church, uh, as I say, and also for Broadway musicals. Um, and the score I felt was, you know, very fitting and stirring and, and moody and in the right places. Um, and then there were the, the nightclub songs, which was sung by Claudia Brucken of uh, people of mine and Jay's age may remember the German synth band Propaganda. Um, I do. They were good. Uh, she was also in a German band called Act, who I don't know, Jay. Uh, don't ask me. <laughs> okay. Well, you, you, you know a lot Yeah, of I do. I, um, I know of Propaganda, but beyond that, yeah. no. <laughs> uh, and singing uh, with uh, The Real Tuesday World, who is uh, the, the sort of the band name of one Stephen Coates. And this is a band I actually saw live. Uh, I was reminded by a friend of mine many years ago, supporting about 10 years ago, supporting Magnetic Fields at somewhere like Jubilee Hall or Royal Festival Hall, one of those. Um, I don't remember a tremendous amount about it, but they're sort of, they're a sort of quirky, very English band, um, a little bit divine comedy esque, but perhaps even more sort of, um, sort of influenced by twenties kind of stuff and, and things like that. But, um, they did a fine job with those songs as well. And then there's some of the, I think there's some, you know, era jazz uh, in the, from the car radios and yeah. stuff. Is there car radios? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. bebop swing or whatever from, from the time. So I th- all of that I think works fantastically. And again, you know, um, not to be, uh, I think some people who are very sort of um, gameplay focused or ludologically minded or whatever you want to call it, um, will maybe, find it shallow to be so beguiled by graphics and music or, or game world and music. But for me, that's a huge amount of my experience is, is, is aesthetic when it comes to games. Um, and so that side of things with LA being, as, as we talked about being so majestic and all that, that music going off, that was another reason why I probably end up feeling more positive towards the game than others. Just, just on that point though, I, I think it's increasingly, the old adage, uh, gameplay first, it's all that matters, is incre- increasingly irrelevant as time goes by. I think 
all of this stuff, the, you know, the art in the environmental design, the music and everything, it's all part of the game and it all adds to the experience. Now, mm. I have problems with L.A. Noir, but I'm not going to uh, disparage somebody for getting something out of the music and the environments because that stuff is undoubtedly of a high quality mm. and, um, and it, you know, it, it's not shallow it's just uh you know the emotions you get from the art yeah, and the, exactly. the the music is just as you know interesting and complex as anything you get from the gameplay for me yeah. it's just you know speaking personally it's just that i i'm seeing the game as a whole and the fact that the like i love the music and i love the environmental design but the stuff we're about to talk about in a minute just it drags that stuff down for me. It's yeah. not because mm. this stuff is shallow in any way. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Jay, did you want to hop in? No, no. It was, it was just I was just going to briefly touch upon the music stuff. It's quite interesting because I, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and there were refer- there's a, a, a TV show coming out about uh, film music, and they played a brief uh, snippet of Max Steiner music who's like this 19 sort of 20 well 1930s uh film composer and who who is like fundamental in the change in the way that film music has evolved and it was amazing that the moment i heard it i was like ah oh, la noir and it was just they'd nailed it they'd nailed this kind of 19 sort of well i suppose it's 1940s and the thing but they nailed that sound the the orchestral sort of scoring of, of the films of that era and it was just one of those things that I really sort of appreciated in the game itself, and the, the sound design in general is, you know, the little, the little audio cues that you get as you play and all that kind of stuff. I, I really got into that stuff. I thought it was really well done. I know it wasn't to everybody's taste, but I, I certainly found it quite good. Yeah, speaking of the environmental sound or sound of spot effects or foley, whatever you want to call it, uh, Woodfella on the forum says, uh, the most memorable thing about this game for me was the sound your hard-soled leather shoes made on the pavement. I loved it. I walked about much more than I should have done. I may sound mental, but I think stuff like that adds to the feel of the game. It makes controlling the character satisfying and adds to the texture of the game world. That's it. Really can't remember much else. Just shoes. (laughs) Uh, so we must talk about that uh, facial tech because I think uh, not only is it sort of it was a, a head headline um, and it's a, a huge feature in the game they showed it off a lot. Um, it's not been used since, and I think most interestingly, I think some people think it added a lot, and other people think it actually was a bit of a distraction. So motion scan TM. Uh, 32 cameras pointing at actors' heads. So uh, we've already talked a little about the characters, but um, famously, Alain Noir features a cast of American, uh, mostly TV, but also film character actors uh, who are very recognisable, particularly from Mad Men and uh, other TV series. There's some CSI and Heroes and various other people in there. Um, And so... Uh, these car- these uh, cameras capture every tick, flinch, grimace, frown, ruffle, twitch, whatever. Um, but with the caveat that it's only their faces. So um, this is why, you know, famously someone worked out very quickly that there's a reason why. And it's fortunate that this hairstyle was, I believe, fashionable at the time. But all the women have their hair tied back. Um, 
there's no there was no opportunity for them to have any of the other uh, hairstyles that were surely around in the uh, mid to late 40s um and also i think josh you were saying uh, recently that it's the it's the disconnect literally or figurative between heads and bodies yeah. that um makes the game look a bit odd at times I've, a bit uncanny valley i think when you first see it you know it's really impressive you mm. know we've never seen something like this before where the the movement of the face is just so real but yeah after a while you you start to realize that it doesn't quite mesh with the movement of the body um stuff that really bothered me was just the fact that the eyes were just dead like every time a character <laughs> looked at another character they were looking through them yeah they weren't looking at them and and playing um you know the last of us recently which uses an arguably more primitive performance capture technique it felt so much more naturalist uh, you know so much more natural um the actor's performances i know um naughty dog actually animate the faces they only capture the body but they're using the faces for reference. But the important thing is that the actors are in the same room when they're doing these vocal performances. And the energy you get from actors bouncing off of each other, you know, that kind of back and forth, I think is more valuable than the fidelity you get from this motion ca uh, motion scan uh, face tech. It's it just have you know the scenes with ellie and joel in the last of us have so much impact and so much emotion and you feel those characters connecting with each other whereas in la noir it just it it feels like these actors are in different booths hmm. it really does i think it's more apparent with certain types of you know when when the characters standing up and moving around it becomes even more obvious that it's that you get that even greater disconnect i found it worked better when they were sat at a desk and they've got their arms folded or something and there's a certain you know they're naturally just sitting stiller than they are it's just, it is strange i find the whole thing although it's it's kind of like the first thing that sort of picked our got our attention with this game it's actually it's a it's a quite a distraction. It really is. It, it doesn't really work in the way that they were selling the game. Into you know, like you can read the emotions, you can tell when somebody's lying. That's not really true. And I actually find it annoying. I find it actually the game is easier when you ignore that and just go by your book and the evidence and ignore what the character looks like and the expression they're wearing. There's, yeah, it's, it's a strange thing. I mean, it's, it's impressive technically, but I don't think I think it was a worthwhile experiment because for what it was. But I don't think we'll see it in that form. Do you not think it's just the first step towards something that will, you know, when they've got it up and running, when they've got it moving around, in the same way that early motion capture? Well, I think we've already got that. We, we've already got that. I mean, what's usually happening with video games is it's like a watered down version of what they're using in the movies. So, because that's obviously prohibitively expensive. Although that said, video games now are, are they're almost on par with with movie budgets. So. Well, we're, GTA Five is yeah, exactly equivalent to the third most expensive movie ever made in budget, in creative and marketing exactly. budget. And so we're getting to the stage where the money will be there for this sort of stuff. And we've got facial capture that you know, like if you look at how they do like even things now that's three years old, Avatar. You know, it's like you see how they captured the facial stuff there. You'll see an adaptation of that kind of technology rather than 
them sitting at a desk and and you know sitting in this chair, you know, not moving their heads and being filmed. It's feels very restrictive in the way that we're move in the direction we're moving in. Yeah, that that that's the thing. It's I think I absolutely agree with what Jay's saying. I think the tech will improve, but it has to if they're going to capture the performances we get in films and TV shows, the actors have to be in the same room. Like there's no way I, I for me um this is speaking personally, you just cannot fake that energy no. that you get from two actors being in the same space. My only counter to that my, I was finding myself agreeing until I suddenly thought of Pixar movies where a lot of the time, a lot of those voice performances are done months, years apart, um, you know, where they get different actors in when they can. Um, not just Pixar these days because you've got that's, uh, other that's studios. That's less so these making, days, though. That is... I think that sometimes they do get them together, but I think there's a lot of great CG movies where the actors haven't been in the same place at the same time. And yet, you know, you know, but what, what you often get is they can hear the other performances whilst, I mean, there's always going to be perhaps if they do it that way, which is less and less so these days. Cause that, well, they could still do that with video games. Couldn't they? Yeah. yeah. But that's <laughs> it. You're, you're at least you're referencing off that kind of stuff, but the, the, the facial detailing stuff it's, it's it's the body language thing as well it doesn't it, yeah like you can't touch your face you know when they do it just looks weird but it's yeah. your body language reflects in your face so if you're swinging your arms around the expressions you're wearing are reflected in that and that's yeah. where i feel it doesn't work because they don't know what their body's doing but this tech this tech is undoubtedly would you know with whether it's more money or smaller cameras or, or whatever they need they it, you know that the way things advance, this will be available for full body. You know, it yeah. won't be long. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, obviously, you have the whole issue with it as finding cutscenes. Um, but you can't, you can't have that when the player's controlling the movements because it's no. I mean, unless you're using pre-captured uh, animation, <clears throat> I suppose. I don't know. It's a complicated business. That's why I'm not a developer. To 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 clarify my point yeah. earlier, I was speaking more about body language, like yeah, Jay was yeah. saying. I think you can absolutely have a vocal performance between um, two characters uh, at work really well because the animators are going to do the body language for mm. you. It's when you you know when I I think it's more it's the motion capture stuff. It's when. It, there's some the way people behave that you you just you just do behave differently if you're pretending somebody's there rather than if somebody's actually yes because the physical space is very different yeah. and you're very much aware of not encroaching on someone else's physical space is a very simple yeah. example yeah yeah um, in terms of the facial uh, scan technology again it's memory of you know more than two years ago now and so uh, apologies if this isn't right i remember the suspicion being that one of the reasons rockstar um, allied themselves with Team Bondi and picked this up to to publish was that they wanted to get their hands on motion scan technology mm. and, and see yeah. how it worked and and get more involved with sure. it. Um, and as you say, Leon, that it clearly hasn't been as successful as maybe they th- it was suspected it would be. Um, and I think the thing that struck me was it, it's recognizing some of the actors. And I don't watch Mad Men, so a lot of the actors 
particularly that series was picked out as having two or three actors of of note in key roles. Um, yeah, at least, yeah. yeah, exactly. But I I didn't know any of those. But I could, you know, uh, John Noble pops up in in one of the main uh, antagonist roles, and he is instantly recognisable. And I think that was quite nice. It wasn't. I I can you know we can all think of video games where there's been a uh, an attempt to recreate say Vin Diesel or something like that and it kind of works but it's not you can tell it's him but mm. um whereas with this it was like no I I recognize that actor immediately I know who it is I know where I've seen them before um and and I could argue that that lifted me out of the experience because I was doing that for the first time in a video game uh, I don't think it did but I could see it being a problem for some people um I think it's interesting. I'm playing Splinter Cell Blacklist at the moment, and they're not using motion scan technology, obviously, because it's not being used um, uh, anymore. Um, but uh, Carlo Rota is an actor who I know as Morris in 24, and he plays the antagonist in Splinter Cell Blacklist. Um, I, I don't think that's a spoiler uh, to say. It, it's That's who he is. Anyway. Nah. Um, uh, and... They're not using this technology, but again, like Josh was saying with Last of Us, they're using different technologies and probably animating face. He is instantly recognizable, and obviously you recognize the voice as well, but his face is actually done pretty well, and it's not, it's not perfect. The faces in Splinter Cell Blacklist have their problems with them, but um, it's interesting to see that the although Motion Scan was heralded as this big step forward, actually animators sitting down and animating with be it um you know 3d models made from uh molds of heads or whatever it might be however they're doing it um or whether it's actual just you know uh animating the various aspects and putting it all together um there are other techniques that are yielding as much if not more results now for this particular field I, Mm. i think it's an interesting study of how the human brain works though in that like something that can be less um you know less uh, accurate to what is real can feel more natural just because everything about it is consistent mm-hmm. and i think that's the problem la noir has is that it's just not consistent whereas other games like you know uh, blacklist which you mentioned and we've talked about the last of us and uncharted is another example i'd bring up it's it's not that the performances feel like they're real people it's just that it everything feels like it's all part of the same whole, like it's all working yeah. together really well, and that's what's missing from L.A. Noir. It's almost the same uh, sort of mindset that that sees David Cage talking about, you know, basically getting more emotion out of games by making Polygons more realistic looking emotions. Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly. And and actually, you know, there are so many games and cartoons, you know, simple animations, even still pictures that make a mockery of that idea. Now, I can understand that if you're trying to make a cinematic style, noir style drama, then you want to try and get get things looking uh, as, you know, the people looking as authentic as possible. But as Josh says, ultimately, if if it's if they occupy the uncanny valley it becomes more distracting than it becomes effective so i think i think the general consensus about the the that this tech is impressive but not wholly effective mm. at this point uh, whatever. 
Anyway, uh, that naturally brings us on to the uh, much-talked-about interrogation uh, part of the game, um, another major part, which obviously is very related to the, the whole facial capture thing. Um, so we'll start this with uh, three comments from our forum, starting with Kevo. I couldn't get to grips with the whole doubting a person versus accusing them of lying, and there were, that was a problem that just would not go away. Me and Cole just never seemed to be on the same page during those things. The game it most reminds me of is the Ace Attorney series. In those, you also spend one half of a chapter meticulously looking around a crime scene for clues and the other half using those clues in dealing with suspects and witnesses. The interrogations are never as enjoyable as the courtroom scenes in Phoenix Wright. Uh, Derek Ritchie says, It still surprises me how much of a basic mechanic underpins the technology of L.A. Noir. While I have a huge amount of admiration for what the creators did in creating some incredible sets and realistic realistic looking actors I struggled with the same issues I had with games as far back as Monkey Island it is that while you as a player can formulate an argument using evidence discovered the game is a lot stricter on that criteria either it works or it does not there is no grey and no chance to explore arguments beyond an internal rule set that does not always make the most amount of sense so what is left can provide moments of intellectual satisfaction or irritation as the game designates you incorrect and finally, Dom's beard on this. Interrogations were fun until you got one wrong and that irritating chime played. I would have preferred nothing and maybe a chance, uh, and maybe by chance failing a case. The fact that you replayed each interrogation until you got it right made it lose credibility for me. Also, the fact that you had to follow a case very linearly was fine until the Dahlia case, when I can't have been the only one to have guessed it was the barman. Uh, spoiler. <laughs> we already said spoilers. Yes, the Black Dahlia case, it was the barman. That's uh, that's historical fact. Way before Phelps does yet, uh, does yet they decided to milk it to get a set piece out of it later on. So I remember at the time, were there, was it the case that there were uh, earlier screenshots where the uh, on-screen labels were actually something different um, rather than truth, doubt and lie, which never, which doesn't even make grammatical sense. Does it? Because are you the truth? The truth is, yeah. In terms of what the words represent to doubt is, context, is, a, is an adjective. Yeah. You are doubting them. Yeah. Truth. It, that's yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you see what I yeah. mean? It's inconsistent. Yeah. And, and that's, that's confusing in itself. I, I think you are speaking the truth. I have a doubt that what you are saying is true. I think you are telling a lie. It's 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 dicey, and yeah. and I think that's the thing that people never came to. A lot of people never never came to terms with. So I looked this up earlier, found this on a forum, uh, and somebody had twigged it, worked it out, and written it down. and And it seems easier when you know this, but it, the game never really tells you that truth. If you press the button for truth, you believe the person is not intentionally withholding information from you. If you press doubt. You believe they are withholding something from you, but you have no way to prove it with hard evidence. And lie, what they say, contradicts evidence that you have in your notebook. And he also added this poster, no credit, apology. You can always press zero to back out of lie or press zero at uh, circle, sorry. You can press circle at truth, doubt or lie to ask the question again. Again, I don't think I ever knew that. Um, I can't remember for sure, but was this, was the problem with this system that a lot of people actually say, we have one of our correspondents says it's broken. Literally it doesn't work. I'm not sure that's true, but I think it's hugely flawed in that it doesn't explain itself. I think my problem is that 
I think it works for what it is, but I just don't think this this line of questioning, like the truth, doubt, lie, is actually representative of what police interviews are actually like. Um, I think it's much more about manipulating the emotions of the interviewee, trying to I think coax it in information. Cinema. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if it is in real life. Well, um, I mean, if they're doing an a noir style story then surely they yeah. should be mimicking what yeah, yeah. it is in cinema and yeah, just a, a game you know this game is flawed as well but the one thing that i did like about it was the interrogation system and that's um deus ex human revolution because in that game what would happen is is you'd get some information about what this person was like or what their you know temperament was and how they'd react to the certain character type i think it was as yeah, well yeah 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 and so when you were picking choices of dialogue, it was much more about the approach. So it was like, be aggressive or be sympathetic or something like that. So you were mm. manipulating the person you were talking to based Psych on their profile. emotions. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And, and, and that you were was getting biometric data back from them yeah. uh, to, to kind of feed into that, to then make, you, make a judgment as to how to and push the their buttons best, yeah. And the facial tech in this totally feeds into that because you could have gotten that information from the characters' faces and stuff like that. And I think yeah. that that is a much more interesting way of approaching this rather than this. And this is the thing that really bothers me is the win, you know, win fail state. I, I, I don't think they should have had that at all. Like I, I think it should have just been you get the information you get or you don't get the information you get. Don't tell the player that they failed with a question. Just let the conversation keep going. Because the moment I failed a question, I had the immediate urge to restart and you know do that whole thing again. I, I would rather have not known at all, just not known I got that wrong, that I <laughs> should have done something else than be told immediately becomes, that yeah, I did, then, a, then it did something wrong. Then it becomes an extra piece of information that you may have uh, correctly or incorrectly surmised from your interview uh, or your interrogation, yeah. an extra piece of information that goes into your casebook so that when you come to charge someone at the end, whether you think someone is lying or not plays into whether you think, you know, they're the guilty one or maybe they were just hiding something other. Because I think that's the thing that the game does um, quite well is is that sometimes you have reason to doubt someone and they are withholding information from you, but it's not actually that they are guilty or that they have done something wrong. It's just that they are withholding information that is they're having an affair, which is completely uh, ex you know extraneous, I guess is the word, to what you're actually asking about. Um, I guess... Um, what you're saying there, Josh, is very similar to what Derek was saying, which is um, the way you would imagine Cole Phelps would approach an interrogation isn't just to immediately have one of three bucket responses um, in the same way that in Mass Effect, having three uh, just responses to have to any particular situation of, of conversation is is very artificial and it needs to be because you can't you can't just type in any old sentence you want to ask a, a um a character and have the game deal with that because games just aren't that sophisticated. But yeah, having some more organics, a word that gets thrown around a lot, but having some slightly different way of handling it where it's not this uh, dialogue tree that's going on. It's just about you kind of 
presenting evidence to them and seeing how they react to it and using that to inform how you then go on and, and uh, take the case forward uh, I, might, I, might I, be a different way of doing it. I, I don't have a problem with the dialogue tree for a thing. I just think they focused on on the wrong things. I just having the free choices is fine. I just I don't think it should have just been about whether the person's lying to you or not. And having that win fail state kind of took like they yeah. it, it. And this is another case of should we be judging the game that's in front of us or should we be judging the game that was marketed marketed to us? But when the game that was marketed to me was a game where my choices affect the narrative of the game. But having that win-fail state meant, oh, well, I'm on the wrong story. Like The, the path I'm taking is wrong, and there is a, a right way to do this. But that's not... If you're going to have a game where your choices affect the narrative, there shouldn't be a right or wrong choice. You know what I mean? It should just be this flowing thing and, you know, let the chips fall where they you know where they yeah. may and i think you know talking to other players that that kind of system would have been more beneficial because you could have talked to somebody else who'd play la noir and they'd say oh did you not pick up on this you know piece of evidence and show them you know show that to the um to the person you were interviewing with and be totally shocked that there was all this information that you missed but because the game mm. tells you that you've missed it it's just frustrating mm. i think the the interesting thing there is as well that um having a, a, a positive and negative reinforcement on the interrogation and then also having a positive and negative reinforcement on the case outcome and then having the feedback that you get from your commanding officer um, also be um, be more complex than just you did well or you did um, badly. Um, it, all, it, it makes it a very complicated game to know whether you're actually doing well or not because... Um, it it tells you whether you're doing the interrogations correctly. Um, you may end up accusing the wrong person and actually then have your commanding officer tell you, but that doesn't matter. Um, or you may end up accusing the right person or or knowing that the right that a different that you've accused the wrong person and having your commanding officer say, No, you did it wrong, where you know ha- having that whole um sort of uh, corruption side to it as well makes it actually really difficult to know whether you should care whether you're getting an interrogation right or wrong all the while you're having these chimes come in to tell you you've done something wrong um which hmm. made me very confused about what the message the game was trying to give me was is the message the game's trying to give me that policing in the 1940s was really difficult you were probably going to lock up the wrong people and sometimes the your commanding officer was going to let someone off that you know fine well did it because of some reason that's out of your hands joe how did you find this part of the game i uh, and it's just going back to the facial thing for a sec but it was the first time i played this i was paying a lot of attention to what the characters were doing or, or looking like and I failed yeah. so many. Like I was mm. on two or three stars. I've gone back recently and pl- replayed it, and I ignored all that and just went by evidence alone. And then based all the questions, based all the responses, based on based on what I had in the notebook, and, and took paid yeah. more attention to that stuff. And I actually got more five stars than I anticipated. It was just it became a lot easier to play. I just com- it's kind of a pity, isn't yeah, it? But there was also. I would have liked the ability to beat confessions out of people in this game (laughs) because the reality was they'd done all this stuff about setting it in such an authentic world 
you know, they put so mm. much research, but yet the police were, it, it is implied certainly by Donnelly that yeah. he's quite happy to beat crap out of people to get confessions. And it was a known thing. They weren't, in 1947, LA, particularly the LA police force, was not afraid to kick the crap out of people to get a confession. And they probably did lock up many, many people after they'd beaten confessions out of them. And it would have been interesting to have that option. And maybe as one option in that in an interrogation was because you always had your partner with you in the room to set them on them and basically try to bluff it, either bluff it or perhaps even go even further and get physical with them and 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 see and that could have changed the way the interview went maybe for better or worse forcing your way literally and metaphorically through the game at that point you're just saying well (laughs) yeah but that 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 would but going back to what the guys were saying about how you get your you know you get you get keep getting told whether you're going down the wrong route whether as it would have been Mm. better to wait until the very end of the game and then see whether you're you know a complete scumbag or whether you're you know um you know whether you're a righteous cop and it would have been interesting at that point to have that sort of element. And if 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 it was just lazy game, you know, you could make it interesting rather than just sort of being, you know, every time just going Punch for that them option. until they confess, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah for me, I just, um, it, it, it rarely stopped me. I think maybe I had like one fail state, one or two. and uh, it, But it, it was just that constant sense of confusion that I didn't really understand what I was about to say at any point. I think that's the thing that most people say. It wasn't it wasn't terrible enough because it, it didn't, you know, it was quite hard to actually completely yeah, fail out and, and kind of break the story um, with a little bit of common sense. But it certainly made me feel like a very weak uh, investigator. Um, so I was generally just happy to, you know, get those done and get back out on the streets. Um, it tended to be that the sort of incidental dialogues and stuff were more interesting anyway, um, than those. So uh, yeah, it just felt like a, a missed opportunity and yeah, just that, that sense of confusion and frustration, not, not wasn't game ruining for me, but it certainly undermined what they were trying to achieve. Um, yeah, I wish I could remember what it was that I'm, I'm sure somebody said that originally it actually in earlier screenshots it showed different words instead of truth, doubt, and lie. Mm. And you know, it's one of the things that obviously got changed. I don't know whether it made a significant difference, made it more confusing or whatever. Um, but I think it's something they lost sight of during development anyway. But something that could definitely be improved upon in a in a sequel, um, which will probably happen, but it will probably won't be by Team Bondi. Um, Time is running away from us, as ever. Um, lots, lo- lots of different facets to talk about this game. Uh, we should just briefly touch on, because there you know, there are these other facets to the game. We talked about the open world. Uh, there are you know, shootouts. There is driving, sometimes at speed. Um, and there's the investigation. Now, the investigation, I think, is another element that is, a, is just a lot more linear and uninteresting than it should have been, because it, 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 I, I seem to remember it's quite like the heavy rain equivalent, where it's basically about looking at things on the floor and picking up, you know, and, you know, there's usually like a paper cup and some, you know, a packet of fags lying there. And, you know, a huge amount of the time, it's just an irrelevant object. And it made me glad, in fact, that they hadn't populated the rest of the city, like every shop uh, in a Shenmue style with cartons of orange juice you could pick up and things like that, because it would have added absolutely nothing um, to the experience, same as it probably didn't in Shenmue. But, um, 
those investigations were, uh, even though you you would very occasionally maybe miss something, um, a bit a bit limp, really, a bit weak for me. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think uh, Derek compared them to Phoenix Wright um, in in his comment. Oh, I beg your pardon. It was Kevil compared them to yeah. to Phoenix mm-hmm. Wright. Uh, for me, they stood yeah. out uh, very much as similar to the CSI games. Uh, I'd played a couple of those, um, which were essentially point and click style. The investigation part um, was point and click style, point around the screen, find stuff to interact with, pick it up, have a look at it, and you know, turn it over, take out a magnifying glass and look at it, whatever, uh, and investigate yeah. it and try and see if it was worthy of your interest and in something you, you thought was useful. Um, I got the impression that the, the investigation side of things because that that my touchstone was CSI, they wanted to take that CSI style investigation and make it something more, more impressive or more uh, realistic in a way where you're sort of picking stuff up and sometimes it's not useful and you know put it back down. It it just came off as well. I'm playing CSI and those games weren't terribly great and here I am doing it again, the game that's supposed to be better. And there were some bits that were. Um... A bit like uh, the Deadly Premonition, where they're basically where you're scanning a body, and uh, the, some of those bits were quite pleasingly grisly. You know, mm-hmm. where you were looking at a mutilated or charred corpse or whatever. Um, you know, they, they they definitely because of the quality of the graphics and the soundtrack and stuff, they managed to make me feel quite queasy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual gameplay was really fairly nothingy. It's just moving a camera, so fairly slow and fair, yeah, fairly um, repetitive. You don't feel by like you're by being clever, the end, you're yeah. just you're just looking. Yeah, yeah. It might well, have been I, interesting I, if you could have moved furniture about, like lifted a chair up or, or moved a chest of drawers away from a wall or lift a bed up mm. or, or something. Is there none of that at all? Nah. Yeah. No, yeah. no, it's just items laid, laid out, yeah. Yeah, that's this. not convincing. Hmm. I, I kind of just wish it would have let you piece together the evidence for yourself because the the game, when you find something that's relevant... Cole just says, oh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then it goes in your <laughs> notebook. And if something's not relevant, he goes, why have I picked this up? I would have <laughs> rather it just said nothing. And then when, when you picked up a gun and there was like a, you know, a registration number, you think, hmm, I better take a note of that. And, you know, you actually go into Cole's notebook and note that down because mm. then that would feel much more like you're piecing it together yourself it's rather like than wasn't... go on. Sorry, Leon. I was going to say, no, I, I interrupted you. I was going to say, it's like the game wasn't assuming a, a high level of intelligence among its players. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I found some of the cross-referencing stuff, you know, very evocative of noir movies and stuff, you know, where you'd be looking in one book for a certain ticket number and then um, and then in a, a file for, <clears throat> for the corresponding thing. That stuff had a certain charm to it, but it was never, yeah, it was never anything other than linear, really, was If it? I can play devil's advocate for a second, the reason that I don't think that's possible to do in this game, as it is, just change it so that that feedback is taken away and players have to, to decide for themselves whether an object's useful and whether to collect it as evidence and whether to put it in their notebook is because a lot of players would have ended up with everything collected, like Skyrim, a just a, yeah. an evidence room yeah. filled with kettles um, and they would have ended up with a lot of stuff in their notebook that was irrelevant and they wouldn't have been able to piece it together. Um, I, I tend to do that in mm. games like Fallout. I just collect everything. I might need this, this plate looks hoarders. useful, I'll have that. You know, yeah. that's what would have happened. So they either needed to then pare down so that almost everything was useful with the odd item that wasn't, which again, 
that kind of defeats the purpose of of removing that feedback or they needed some kind of feedback i agree the feedback was pretty pretty hammily done um and it may as well have been a chime you know it may as well have been the family fortune style uh, uh, when you picked up an item that wasn't useful but we can't go back to. I know. I understand why we can't go back to really oblique, obscure puzzle mm. games like those from the eighties and nineties, where many people would never get past like the third puzzle. You know, maybe things like Mist or Riven, or um, you know. But they had a hugely dedicated fan base. I mean, even earlier arcade adventures where basically, right, you're in a world. There's some stuff you need to find, and you need to find it in the right order and put it together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Chucky Two or Exile or, or one of those kind of things. You couldn't do that. No. Say, right, here's LA. There are some crimes. Uh, <laughs> take a file and off you go um sounds amazing though doesn't it? i think i mean the way other games handle this in point and click is um sometimes and and something like uh bioshock i think as well you can turn off that the the highlighting there's often like yes. a, a highlighting or or an item is slightly brighter or has an outline if you can interact with it in other games you have the ability to turn that off and maybe that's the way to do it here have the ability to turn the the positive and negative reinforcement chimes and phrases off so if you want to play it that way and you may get halfway through and find that you're not really managing with it, but you could turn it back on, maybe that's the way to handle it. Put it in the player's hands a bit more. Mm. Um, yeah, and then, of course, uh, very briefly, I don't think we need to talk about it too much, but there are there is driving and shooting. And um, for me, it's, there's very little to say more than the the mechanics for these things were nothing special um but not you know they certainly weren't a stumbling block either it was never like oh god no not another shootout or another chase they were fine um but just never felt it didn't never felt like the engine was designed to be a, a shooter or or a, you know like the cars didn't have a lot of physics about them and i know you know you can sort of justify that to a point with the the age of the cars but things still had physics you know they they felt a bit boxy Mm. and a bit like drifty and you know in terms of you know if you went over a hump or whatever um not unpleasant to drive and the guns weren't unpleasant to shoot Mm. but nothing nothing about the game felt like it could be a you know you said oh yeah okay i'm gonna make the la noir spin-off drivey Mm. shooty game um they weren't strong enough the only the only bit that stood out to me on on what chocolate lights was when you're chasing somebody you have the ability if you hold down the button, your your little sort of bar will fill, and you can fire a warning shot into the air. And I yeah. quite like that because the first time I just shot him in the back, and <laughs> and that was that. But it was just then, it, then I realised, oh, I can I can fire a warning shot. That's yeah. kind of awesome. <laughs> but, yeah. The game has a few neat player friendly touches like that. Um, there's also, and this seems like a really minor thing, but so many games get it wrong. When you're pegging it down a fire escape, he never. Um, the game sort of takes over his cornering. Mm, yeah. Uh, so you never get kind of stuck caught on a corner banging into and, yeah. yeah, stuck on a yeah. corner, it, it, stuff like that. And also, as somebody else mentioned, the, um, the, the, if you don't want to drive from place to place, you just tell your partner to drive and you just try yeah. and you're sort of teleported there. That's a brilliant mm. touch. Yeah. Such, such a clever, si- simple, but clever idea. Um, yeah, uh, Jay, absolutely. Yeah. The thing I was going to say was the, the driving and the shooting didn't, uh, they, they felt, fine they didn't feel it's not something i'd choose to do necessarily as a, no. as a as the sole gameplay but the chases i actually really like the chases because they felt mechanically different and as you mentioned earlier it gave you the opportunity to run down a back alley and think wow i've not seen this place before mm. and mental note i must come back here and probably never will but you know you're running past stuff and just seeing all sorts of stuff going on all the while you're trying to focus on keeping your hat on and chasing this guy down um and yeah i thought that w- those were the really well done uh, Flabio from the forum said uh, the more GTA elements of it felt added in just for the sake 
uh, especially the dispatch mis- missions, just because someone somewhere felt it couldn't stand up without them. It's very clear that it's been through lots of different hands and changed design direction on multiple occasions. There are elements that feel like they're left over from something that isn't there anymore. It perhaps needed a stronger editorial hand to chop out the irrelevant parts and focus it down. Uh, Flabio is uh, a professional games maker, worth saying. Uh, he continues, while I don't think it being open world ad, uh, adds anything of value to how it plays, there's no denying it's a very impressive recreation of that time and place. There's an article on Eurogamer where a guy plays it with his father who was a kid in LA at the time the game is set and whose own father was on the force. Go and find it. It's really great. I don't have the link, but I'm sure if you Google, you can find that. Dom's beard again says LA itself is beautiful and I enjoyed driving around it and the mechanic to get your partner to drive was a genius idea snooping around the crime scenes was fun and picking up inanimate objects has its charm for a while (laughs) Uh, Kevo says uh, the shooting and chasing scenes aren't particularly interesting although it is the first game I've played where I try to avoid damage so as not to lose my hat or ruin my suit very good uh yeah, very briefly, very briefly on the DLC. Diesel Phantom, uh, he says most of the DLC was forgettable, but the Nicholson electroplating case was everything that a piece of story DLC should be. It features some big set pieces, and the case was unlike any of the others which had gone before. Uh, I do remember play. I, I did play almost all of them. I think I missed the last one. Um, but I do remember that one being the kind of the mm. biggest and most, uh, yeah, different. Uh, James, would you care to read Xavier Desmond? Uh, these are some more... Uh, cover all feedbacks on the uh, on the LA Noir yeah, experience sure. from our forum. Uh, Xavier Desmond says, "I said Xavier. It could be Xavier, of course, or, or, Xavier. or Xavier. Xavier Desmond. Uh, we'll cover all bases." <laughs> um, I have true, uh, very much mixed feelings on this game. The first impressions were entirely positive, as I thought the setup for the story was truly outstanding, and everything about the presentation gives it a wonderful sense of time and place. In terms of gameplay, the first impressions again were great. Combining driving, shooting, investigation and interrogation seemed at first to give you a great sense of being a policeman in this world. As the game progressed, however, the flaws began to emerge. Um, The game world is visually stunning but empty and lifeless. The story, despite consistently excellent voice acting and solidly written dialogue, is poorly told and manages to be less than the sum of its parts. Worst of all are the interrogation scenes, which are unfair, frustrating, and ultimately pointless, as the outcome had no significant impact on the game. Ultimately, despite these flaws, there is much to like in the game. For the most part, I had great fun playing through the story, and the overall presentation is truly peerless in many ways, but this game never quite delivers like it could have done, or what I hoped it would. And uh, Jay, do you want to read Stex's? I lie very much in the positive camp for L.A. Noir. I found a fixed storyline quite normal, being an old, old-school point-and-click adventure game. The fact that the game moved on despite how badly you could do seemed an interesting take on policing of the time. The result didn't matter, just that there was somebody to lock up for it. I still go back to the game fairly often to replay a case or two, or just to dr- drive around and take in the street cases. Sure, it's no Red Dead, but I still prefer it to a GTA game. Uh, Chase210 says, I came into L.A. Noir expecting a GTA clone and was pleasantly surprised. It's not quite at Red Dead levels of excellence, but it far outstrips GTA 4. Not being able to just pull out your gun whenever you like was a particularly good 
distinguishing feature, and I quite enjoyed the interrogations. Even if it was a tad difficult to read people at times, overall, pretty good. (laughs) Uh, Derek says, when it all clicked, when you did manage to identify the clues, interrogate the witnesses and solve the case, it felt incredibly good. And to its credit, I think this game is still the closest we have come to a proper sense of being a detective. And those are the moments I really remember from the game, the ones that stick in my mind. I took it so seriously that at points I even obeyed the traffic laws. Uh, yeah, stricken MCQ. McHugh. McHugh, stricken McHugh. Says, atmosphere-wise, it reminds me of the Dragnet radio show that was originally broadcast after World War II until the late 50s. Phelps even reminded me of Joe Friday in the early part of the game before he falls for the lounge singer. Not something conservative Joe Friday would do. It isn't a great driving game, nor a great shooter. It doesn't tell a marvellous story either, but I did enjoy playing it. <laughs> I love that. You get that quite a lot, don't you? You see people where they say, well, it's not really this good at anything, but I had a good time with it. And that's cool. Yeah. Right, Andy Kurosaki. Um, personally, I loved L.A. Noir. It has its faults. For one thing, there wasn't enough to do in the open world. I certainly didn't bother hunting down all the collectibles, and the cases definitely peaked in Homicide. I found, the rem- I, f- I found the remaining cases nowhere near as exciting. But it remained a satisfying game to play, reading people's facial expressions and trying to suss them out. Spotting people was fun. It's Ken from Mad Men. It's Pete Campbell and the cop from Heroes. And every time you made a wrong choice, that sad tone played. It always sounded like you, you just fucked up. Uh Dom's Beard says, that tone when you make the wrong choice is as annoying as getting hit by a blue shell in on Mario Kart when you're in first, near the end of a final lap. And Devin York's email, uh, the rest of it, when I first heard about L.A. Noire in a magazine, I was fairly unimpressed. To me, it looked like another GTA clone, only with you swapping sides as a police officer rather than a criminal. So when the game came out, it was completely under my radar. That is until a very good friend of mine brought it to my house and we played it together. That was when I immediately fell in love with the game and its historical setting. After that day, I picked it up and ploughed through it in a week and greatly enjoyed it. I found the various cases interesting and always would replay some of them to see what could play out different or be or could be altered. Even the conversation system, in which you accuse suspects of committing certain actions, has intense feel about it, like that the result of the case rests on the information. However, L.A. Noire is not a perfect game. For such a faithful recreation of the City of Angels, it's a crime that there's almost nothing to do when you're not on an investigation. Sure, there are collectibles to acquire and monuments to see, but that just wasn't enough to make me explore the city. Also, while it's understandable due to what happened to the team, the ending felt somewhat rushed and unsatisfying. Uh, Alex79UK says, I was looking forward to L.A. Noire for ages. Here's a rundown of my first three hours with the game. 10 minutes in. Hey, this game is pretty good. One hour in. Oh my god, this is the best game ever. 90 minutes. Okay, yeah, this story is getting good. Three hours. Oh, I've seen everything the game has to offer. It was an absolute sham of a game. The same mission wrapped in uh, in different skin 20 times over. With no variation, no interest, nothing. Let's forget about the fact the main story seemed to end halfway through the game and you're left investigating some boring insurance fraud or something for the remaining five hours. (laughs) You can tell he didn't finish it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing about the game was fun. You can't do the side missions because you get penalised if you take too long arriving at a crime scene and you cannot access the city outside of main mission. It was such a wasted opportunity and by far and away Rockstar's weakest hour. 
Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously, as as we always say, you know, if, if if you didn't like a game to carry on playing it, then then stopping is entirely valid. But um, I'm not sure about some of the things there. Like, uh, do you, I didn't have a problem doing side missions. No, you just weren't supposed to do them while you're doing other missions. That's the only. Yeah, once yeah, you start yeah, the mission, yeah. you're supposed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but no, absolutely uh, valid points. Um, we always like to finish on a positive, so um, if possible, because we are lovers, not fighters. No, n- not haters. Uh, we try to be. So uh, let's end with Diesel Phantom. Elenoir was nothing quite like anything I'd played before. In my first hours with the game, I genuinely felt as though I was experiencing, if not a new genre, then a new and fresh mix of existing mechanics. If anything, those mechanics were probably stretched a little thin and the cracks began to show once Phelps left the traffic desk, leaving the story of each case and the overarching plot as motivation to continue. Phelps' disagreeable actions outside of the main cases reinforced the feeling that I was not role-playing a character, rather than, say, Mass Effect, where my Commander Shepard is just a projection of myself. The richly designed open world was an unexpected bonus from the game's problems in development, and the sparseness of side missions made the game a more manageable completion. I spent several hours motoring around, collecting film reels and police badges, and enjoyed the diversity of the city. Determined to suck every drop of the experience out of the game, I replayed all the cases with a guide to see all of the clues and experience the full story. It was interesting to see where my original playthrough had diverged from the true path. For me, the game is a defining one of the generation. Yes, yeah, interesting because he's mentioned there that um, he used, basically used the the film reels and badges and as an excuse to explore, which I I can totally see that. Even though I think it's kind of a weird to have these collectibles mm. in that game, and actually. It came back to me as I was, uh, as we've been recording, that I did use the sightseeing. Um, it's not really a collectible as such, but you try to see all the sights in the yeah. game, um, and that was a, a jolly good excuse to just go round and round and round. So now some three-word reviews uh, from Twitter. These, starting with James. Yeah, uh, Mr. Flabio says technological dead end. Uh, frozen treasure. Go Australian development. Rich Spurs says, angry cop fun. Uh, Richie M, good tech demo. (laughs) Jeff Pendleton says, film noir tribute. Uh, Lee Garbutt says, sudden adultery subplot. Stuart Cullen says, case gone cold. Tat Sun, they always run. Seanakin says, needed more Kelso. Alan Wilkinson, uh, flatters to deceive. Feral Cow says, interrogation minigame oversimplified. And Richard Atwood uh, says the same thing in harsher terms with broken core mechanic. Thanks to everyone, as ever, for those three-word reviews. All right, uh, brief summaries then, uh, starting with James. Uh, Yeah, I think it's unfortunate that my lasting memory of this game, um, a bit like Red Dead, is that on the... On a particular traffic case, um, I, there's a particular traffic case where I, um, I'd already solved the case. I knew that um, it was, um, it was this couple, a, a woman, the the uh, wife of the of the victim, and um, and her uh, partner had done it, um, and there was this other kid who'd run off to the train station. 
Sheldon, I believe his name was, um, and I had to just track him down. It was the last thing I had to do in the case. I'd already solved it, and because I'd done the case in the wrong order, Cole Phelps pitched up and started waving a gun in his face, accusing him of all sorts of things and telling him he was going to be in all sorts of trouble and go down for whatever he'd not done. Um, it... Stuff like that, if you're going to give people the freedom to tackle these cases in different orders, at least allow them then the resolution that makes sense for the way they chose to tackle it. Um, Just like Red Dead, uh, just a lack of forethought on the way in which people could choose to tackle uh, that particular case and other cases. Um, So my lasting memory is kind of taken up by the things that this game did very well intentioned but didn't quite pull off which is a shame because there's so many things it does do really really well um and i think it's just again that with the csi investigation side of things i was expecting them to take that sort of core gameplay type and move it forward and it didn't the same as the driving and shooting it just took what was in GTA and didn't really move it forward in any way, shape, or form, which isn't necessarily a crime, but just for a game that was being pushed as something a bit different, I was hoping for a little bit more. Um, and it, it's it's the flaws that stand out to me, whereas really, you know, that's that's a negative on me. That's a bad point of my appreciation for the game. It should be the city uh, and the fact that this is one of a, a very few games that tackles this period in history and and tackles the film noir aesthetic and and oeuvre, if you like, um, which I think it, it does pretty well, and I enjoyed that aspect of it. Joshua? Um. I think it's interesting, James, that you compared Red Dead Redemption to this game because for me personally, I see those two games as opposite ends of Rockstar's spectrum of quality. Um, Red Dead Redemption set out to capture the Old West, those Western movies, and for me personally, it absolutely achieved that. It it went above and beyond any other game in that Western setting and delivered that kind of experience. Well, as L.A. Noir kind of, in so many areas, fell flat on its face. It's not terrible. It has great qualities. As I mentioned earlier, the environment looks great, the sound design is great, and the music is fantastic. But the mechanics are inconsistent and awkward. Um, the face tech, while initially impressive, um, as time goes on, it just looks awkward and weird and unsettling. Um, it's a mixed bag. It's inconsistent. Um, yeah, I I don't really know how I feel about Noir at the end of the day. I think it's just okay overall, but it's terrible in some areas and brilliant in other areas. It's weird. I don't. I do, I really struggle to comprehend exactly how I feel about this game. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much agree with Josh. Um, if you come to La Noire looking for a great game in any sense, uh, a GTA style game, an action game, or a, even a you know a Phoenix Wright or a Deadly Premonition style um, investigative, or, <laughs> or even a uh, Heavy Rain style. Um, I don't know what evil do worse. Yeah, interactive, interactive cinematic. storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Cinematic it, story. it doesn't really. It's not really very good at any of those things, despite all its efforts. Um, but that doesn't quite, for me, manage to undermine 
the immersion I experienced actually being in that world and and playing that role of detective, even if even if I didn't you know love the Phelps character, um, there were lots of colourful characters um, around him, lots of interesting dialogue. Um, when the when the facial tech works, it really works well. Um, it's not always a good thing, but sometimes just having those slightly more human expressions and stuff adds a little something. But for me, it was more the uh, LA itself and the way it's rendered, the, the detail and the thought and the time and the effort that's gone into it. And even if it, it does feel a little bit like a museum, perhaps it doesn't have as good a you know sort of atmospheric effect as some games the you know maybe the the lighting doesn't change in such a beautiful fashion or i can't does it even have weather i can't remember is it without rain possibly um but it's just the actual the buildings and 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 as i say just the, the tiny details um combine those combine that with the soundtrack and as i say for me it's almost it sounds bizarre because it's obviously at the opposite end of the kind of budget spectrum but for me it's almost like one of those experiences where you play something and and you just you just want to be in that world. Um, this is a realistic one, not a fantastic, surreal one, like something like, you know, as I said earlier, Proteus or Dear Esther or one of those. Um, but it's the same totally um, sort of spellbinding uh, sense of being in another place that stays with you long after the... stays with me, stays with some people long after the game's finished and despite all the game's many flaws as a game... Uh, let's conclude with Jay. Uh, I'm gonna pretty much uh, echo what you've just said. Um, I I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, yeah, and I would recommend if if somebody's never played this, it's, I would ne- I would happily recommend them try it. You know, mm. everybody has to find their own way with it. But you know, like it's not perfect, but it, it, I, I it's it's maintained. A presence in my on my gaming shelf, and and I every now and again I like to just wander around Los Angeles and and just take it in. And I love it for that reason. Uh, thanks, gentlemen. We are nearly at the end of volume two. Just psychonauts and heavy rain to come. Uh, I will say this: that most of the volume three lineup has been decided. More than half of it, anyway. Uh, currently, it is not for human ears (laughs) but soon all will be revealed so watch this space uh you can find everything at canarince.com including the forum our merchandise stall the facebook page uh links to twitter feed and the youtube channel and all that um and the schedule for volume three if you like to play along or you just you're interested to hear what we're going to be talking about will be there in the meantime please as ever support us uh on itunes with your subscriptions reviews and ratings until next issue and double fine psychonauts it just remains for me leon cox to thank james carter joshua garrity and jay taylor until then goodbye (laughs) 